0: So as Jeff mentioned, we are going to continue in our study in the book of Psalms, and this evening specifically Psalm 30. So I would invite you, if you have a Bible with you, we'll turn over to Psalm 30, uh, we'll read, and then we'll uh, try to hit on a few points that uh, meant something to my heart as I was studying over the last, last few weeks. Psalm 30, a psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. You've not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O you saints of his, give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness, for his anger endures but for a moment. In his favor is life weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning in my prosperity i said i shall not be moved lord by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong but when you hid your face i was troubled i cried to you o lord and said the lord unto the lord i make supplication what profit is there in my blood when i go down to the pit Shall the dust praise you? Shall it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've cut off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To that end, my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. There's obviously uh, something very unique about studying the Psalms. It's not like studying many other books or many other things written in the scriptures. <clears throat> it's not really something that you, you can spend a lot of time, well, what does this mean here or that mean there? It's not so much teaching or instruction, uh, but it's, it's the bearing of a man's heart. In this case, David inspired by God's Holy Spirit, of course. Uh, we do believe in the inspiration of scripture, but at the same time, I don't believe David stood up on a day at a certain amount of time thinking that someone's going to write this down and take it apart word by word thousands of years later. It's it's possible that may have been on his consciousness, but I suspect more it was just literally the bearing of his heart, pouring out praise to God and thanksgiving. Uh, But nonetheless, we will do that because it is certainly a blessing for us to consider. Uh, the, The title given to this psalm in my Bible and perhaps in yours as well, a psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. Now this is somewhat debated. Like if you recall, David did not build the temple. His son Solomon was given that privilege. So it's not 100% clear at which dedication of which house of David this was. It could have been his own palace. It's possible this may have been when the tabernacle returned to Jerusalem. Um, There's there's a few of them. It wouldn't, wouldn't have been at Solomon's temple. He wasn't around for that. Nonetheless, it was at some type of public ceremony. Where you would expect someone, uh, an important figure to give a speech or something to that regard. And David felt inspired at that moment not to even refer to the structure or whatever it was he was dedicating, but rather to turn everyone's heart to God. Because, and, and he really bared his heart here. He, he go into, if you're, I understand if you haven't read it in a while, it's a bit hard to pick up on all the details on a first reading. But essentially what happened is David was very sick, nigh unto death. Uh, extreme illness. Now, perhaps that's something that you have walked through. Perhaps that's something you're walking through right now. Um, or maybe you know someone who has, but terribly ill and and really, really low. And he cried out to the Lord and the Lord healed him. Now, this psalm is not a, a recipe, if you will, that that will always be the case. However, David also reveals a bit of his heart here because he suggests that he felt it was because of his own pride that he suffered this illness. And again, this psalm is not telling us if you misstep, if you sin, that God will inflict you with illness. But it could happen. And, and David, for whatever reason, he doesn't tell us why he felt that way, but he felt conviction that was the case. And so he admits readily in this psalm I sinned. I fell short. I became, I got my eye off God. I became proud. I said, I, I'm untouchable. I'm not going to be shaken. And then he was made low. But in the end, God restored him back. So let's take it apart into a couple sections of verses and uh, study a few thoughts that I would prepared for this evening. So the first three verses, again, David says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. It's kind of an interesting phrase. He's saying, like, how how do you lift up or extol the God Most High? Um, Like, it's a bit of a a paradox in that sense, but we understand what he means. Um, He's essentially saying, you lifted me up, so now it's my turn God in the presence of all these people I want to lift you up now there's two ways you can do that you can lift God up by speaking well of him uh, as he does here but also if you remember the word worship the worship comes from an origin of to fall prostrate literally you on the ground either way God is the one who is magnified and lifted up and David I think succeeds in doing both here both falling on his face in worship but also speaking well of the God he loves. And that's, that's what worship is at its core. This is essentially a song of worship. He's returning praise to him. And I, I, as soon as I was reading this psalm, I was reminded of in the New Testament, remember the time the Lord Jesus healed the 10 lepers. And uh, then the Lord turned as there was one. He said, well, well, where are the nine? Where are the others? If you want to read it yourself again, it's in Luke chapter 17. Only one came back to essentially say Thanks. Um, and perhaps that's a lesson for us as we reconsider this psalm this evening. As we pray for something to God, when that prayer is answered, let us not just carry on uh, back to our regularly scheduled programming. David took opportunity here to acknowledge that answered prayer, to praise God for it, just as that one of ten did. Now, he says in uh, verse 2 and 3, O Lord my God, I cried to you and you helped me. You brought my soul up from the grave and kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit." So that gives us a bit of an indication that he felt he was near the end. This might even be the end, he didn't know. Um, And he uses a word there in the middle of the verse, you you brought my soul up from the grave. Now a few weeks ago at our Christianity Explored Sunday night, we got talking about this a little bit, and so I thought it would be worth spending a few minutes on that word, because I think sometimes there could be some confusion about it Uh, the word grave it comes from the word sheol in the hebrew Um, so what is he talking about there like you think grave i don't know what you think of i think of a nice burial plot perhaps in a cemetery six feet under buried and so on it's none of that Um, the word sheol was the dwelling place of of souls this was the place where you would go when you die now immediately you perhaps are thinking well is this a good place or is it not a good place well Let's look at another place that this, uh, this word sheol is used. If you flip back to Psalm 16 for a moment, the exact same word is used, the grave. Psalm 16, I'll read verse 9 and 10. It says, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh shall rest in hope for you will not leave my soul, my Bible says, in hell. Neither will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Same word there, sheol. You will not leave my soul in hell so david wrote this but in the new testament we are explained exactly what he's talking about you remember on the day of pentecost peter stood up acts chapter 2 and he said david died david was buried his soul or his body did see corruption he was speaking about david's greater son here he was speaking about the lord jesus and so in psalm 16 then you will not leave my soul in as the king james translated hell or sheol speaking then of the lord jesus it would appear pretty clear that it's not referring to what you may have in your mind conceived as hell um because i I certainly don't believe the lord jesus was in uh that that place of punishment or hell so so how do we reconcile these things here what what is this word sheol is it hell is it not hell is it good is it bad i got a few more verses for it and I, i i endeavor to tie this all together and hopefully be a help to someone here this evening I have no doubt I will lose some along the way. That's not the uh, the by choice, but I've, I've just enjoyed studying a little bit myself over the years. So let's continue on that line of thinking. So the Lord Jesus, as he died, as we are revealed in Peter in Acts chapter 2, his soul was in this place, let's call Sheol. The Lord Jesus also said he would be somewhere else, though, after he died. If you remember in Luke chapter 23, he turned to a man next to him, and he said, Today, you will be with me, in paradise. The Lord Jesus doesn't lie. He can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. So then what is it? Is his soul in Sheol, as we are told in Psalm 16 or in Acts chapter 2, or, or is he in paradise as he seemed to reveal to that thief in uh, Luke 23? Well, could I suggest to you that he was in both? And how we reconcile that, let's go to another example. Luke chapter 16, very, very revealing parable. The Lord Jesus told of a man who was very rich, an unnamed man, and Lazarus, not the Lazarus who was brought back to life, uh, but another man who was who was poor in things of this world, but rich in things spiritual. As he, uh, they both died, and it says in the scripture in Luke 16, that they were both carried off to this place, and the poor man, Lazarus, who, uh, who had faith in God, was carried to what the scriptures say, Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. So well, what is that place? It simply means it's the place in Sheol where Abraham is. He was put down right beside him. And immediately anyone hearing the parable would understand, well, Abraham's a good man. He is going to, if there is a good place for souls, that's going to be there. We learned something in that, that parable, though, that within Sheol there was a gap. There was a, a, a two sides, if you will, if I could simply call them a good and a bad side. Because it says there was a great gulf fixed. And somehow they were able to communicate one to the other, but there was... Uh, comfort on the side of Abraham and of, of Lazarus, and there was nothing but torment on the side of the rich man. I promise there's a point to all this. Then, paradise, do we read about that anywhere else in the scriptures? Well, we actually do. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12. Again, you're welcome to turn to it, or you can just wait for a moment. I'll read the verses and explain why we're going to those. 2 Corinthians 12, we read Paul, Paul the Apostle, and he says in verse 2, 2 Corinthians 12, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I can't tell, or out of the body, I can't tell, God knows. We believe he's speaking about himself. Uh, He had a dream or a vision. He said he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, the third heaven is uh, the place where God is. The first heaven was referred to the atmosphere of this world. The second heaven, the interstellars, the stars, the planets, and so on. The third heaven, that being where God is. So somehow Paul had this revelation of the third heaven. I knew the man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Verse 4, he was caught up into paradise. So from 2 Corinthians 12, now we, we would come to understand that paradise, this place that is obviously seemingly a good place, is now in the third heaven. So how did it get there? Because based on what the Lord Jesus said, it would seem that paradise perhaps was what we'll call the good half of Sheol. Well, got a couple more verses for you. In Ephesians 4, verse 8, it says of the Lord Jesus, when he ascended up on high, he led a host of captives with him. Or perhaps your Bible says he led captivity captive. I believe as the Lord Jesus ascended from, I'll say Sheol, he brought, could I say, the good half with him the Old Testament saints, Abraham and, and so on, and essentially paradise he brought with him because that's why Paul, when he had this vision later in Second Corinthians 12, paradise is now in heaven, as he saw. Then if that were the case, Abraham would no longer be in Sheol, he would be in heaven, and we see that all through the New Testament. In fact, <clears throat> I picked out one here, Matthew 8, the Lord Jesus talks about the future when you will sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as part of the kingdom of heaven. So Abraham is no longer in Sheol. He will be part of what we would consider heaven. So then um, tying it all back together, here's how I believe this fits in. A believer today who passes away, we know from 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is present immediately with the Lord. Um, so so there's, no, there's no Sheol today. The soul is with the Lord in heaven. And then what happens to Sheol? Well, the New Testament word for Sheol is Hades. Often also translated hell. Well, the outcome of that place we read of in Revelation 20 death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. I apologize if I've lost many of you along the way, but here's the point. As I see it, in the time of David, as he was writing, Sheol was the dwelling place of all souls good and bad if you'll allow me to use that phrase those who had faith and those who did not there's a gulf fixed in between that we have revealed to us in luke 16. there was a place where abraham was there was a place where lazarus was and many other saints and i believe the lord jesus based on psalm 16 acts chapter 2 was there as well you will not leave my soul however in sheol because when he ascended he brought a host of captives with him i.e paradise which is now based on second corinthians 12 in the third heaven And Sheol, that's why your Bible sometimes translated as hell. You're like, why do they call it hell if there was good people there? Well, after the ascension of the Lord, Sheol isn't that anymore. Sheol is a place still containing souls, but everyone who had faith in God, faith in the Lord Jesus is now in heaven. They're they're no longer in Sheol. And that's why the entirety of Sheol, Hades, one day is cast into the lake of fire. The the amazing thing for me, and I suppose it is somewhat off topic from Psalm 30, we will return to that, but was that how much privileged revelation we have with a whole scripture. It's pretty clear from the Old Testament that the things of eternity and souls and heaven and hell and all of these things, it was very, very dim. All of these verses that I'm piecing together for you, are all New Testament revelation that we are blessed to have in your phone, in your tablet, in your lap, in front of you today? David didn't know anything of that. So, David, all he knows is Sheol, not good because I'm dead. I'm no longer here. Um, so, God has revealed to us so much. And I just, I, I appreciate that when you see the whole picture of Scripture. Nonetheless, back in Psalm 30, David didn't want to go there. Not because it was hell, not because it was torment, but because it was no longer alive. And we'll see by the end of it, David had great uh, desires for his life. All right, so that was verse three. Let's continue into verses four and five of Psalm 30. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness, for his anger endures for a moment. don't want to pass over it too briefly, but Psalm, uh, verse four rather, the importance of singing and music and, and just how important that is to, to worship it cannot be understated um we appreciate i'm sure all of us here and listening tonight different kinds of music and uh, and that's okay but it's one of for me i find it for myself one of the most blessed ways to restore my heart when i'm down or discouraged or whatever to listen to songs of worship that really uh, just get my heart back in the right place i praise god for people gifted musically like that and here as well uh to get our mind on it and david's the same way sing unto the lord it's a good thing now verse five his anger endures for a moment why does god get angry well um i suppose there's there's many reasons a lot of them boil down to sin um to be angry itself is not a sin that that's apparent from many references in the new testament uh the lord jesus became angry he was angry about hypocrisy he was angry about people in the temple and money changers and ripping people off and and creating obstacles for people to come and worship god you can see why that bothered him and he was angry about it, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't sin at all. He didn't lose control. We know this of God, though, Psalm 103, that he is slow to anger. Very, very, very patient. But God is angry with sin because he understands what sin is. Sin is totally against his character. He sees what sin does to us. And I'm sure there's some degree of anger in that, just as you would with your own children. Uh, when you see them making decisions that are, uh, shall I say, suboptimal, not ideal. Um, there's a cost and and it bothers you because you're like this is going to end in a bad way and so you could imagine why that would be David here felt some degree of, of that anger for sin he doesn't go into what the sin was we don't know what it was it doesn't do any good to speculate nonetheless David saw it was there and he felt that this illness that he was suffering was was somewhat as a result of this again this is not teaching that says every time God is angry with you you will be sick and unto death it could happen But not every sickness is is for that reason. So let's not take that away from it. I think verse 5 is probably the most powerful verse in this entire psalm. And perhaps the most well known. At least the end of it there. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. I don't know about you. I have never experienced weeping like that for an entire night. I've had sad moments i've had weeping i've had that Um, i haven't gone through that and some of you may have to witness a situation like that and i'm thinking even close to home here of someone in our fellowship and and in recent months Uh, unspeakable tragedies that some of us have walked through Um, and we our hearts go out because the weeping doesn't stop and it's just it feels like a night it's such a good description of it this is not again a, a measure of time this is not David giving us something a scientific benchmark whereby you can say okay it'll be for a night and then don't worry it's coming in the morning when you are in that moment it feels like forever it's the darkness of night caving in on you and Uh, as you're trying to help someone let's say you know someone going through something like that where do you even start I'll tell you probably one one place you can start is not to start telling them oh don't worry joy is coming in the morning that's not what they want to hear in that moment I'll tell you that it might be true but perhaps a better way would to be applied Romans 12 you know weep with those who weep when you find someone weeping you just weep with them you say very little um because as the time comes there will be a time when there's time for words but weeping with those who weep I think is a a good approach in that moment um however with all of that being said the person in that hour of darkness um, is not necessarily thinking about that joy in the morning but in some degree they are and as I think all I can do is appreciate the experiences I've had in my own life as you can apply to your own life the fact that you know things will improve even if it seems so distant away there's just powerful hope in that and without the Lord I don't think you could make that statement uh there's no assurance that things in this world that things will get better we'd like to hope that things will get better but I don't know terrible things could happen to you your home your life your possessions your family whatever um Job I think immediately comes to mind he didn't know things were going to get better he didn't even know how things were as bad as they were like we see the story and we sit back and we can study it and have of uh, a good time, uh, reflecting on his life, but he lived it, and he didn't know joy was coming in the morning. But for David to say that, it is a powerful thing, and and something perhaps that afterwards it's easier for you to reflect on and see the blessing in that. That joy does come eventually. That there is a time that the light will dawn again. And uh, even if it may seem a far away, the darkness is a hard time to go. The weeping is acknowledged, and David, whether how long it was that he has, he suffered in this way, he had a hard time. But eventually, things did come back. Verse six, he he's further uh, transparent with us all. In my prosperity, he says, "I said I will not be moved or shaken." This phrase, "I will not be shaken," comes up three times in the Book of Psalms. Um, three different individuals. The first of them is in Psalm 10. And I'm sorry, I apologize. I forget if we studied Psalm 10. If we did, thank you to the person who did. But if we didn't, uh, I don't believe we did. Psalm 10, it's a psalm of the wicked. Um, and the wicked man says this He says to himself, Nothing will ever shake me. The arrogance of a godless man um, who shakes his fist at God and says, I am untouchable and this and that. And I don't know, think, people come into my mind when I think of that. Not people here, obviously, but. Um, it's a precarious position to shake your hand at God and say nothing can touch me. Wow. Um, Only, I'd say, the wicked and the fool would do that. So the godless arrogance of the wicked man. Psalm 16, beautiful psalm of David. David says this, with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The acknowledgement that when God is with me, I am untouchable. And that is true. And then the believer does have that confidence and that hope and and all of that that goes along with him. Praise God for that. And then there's this one. When I felt secure, I said, I will not be shaken. Could I, could I characterize this as the misstep of a believer? Any one of us can be vulnerable to this, just overconfident. And none of us are a king or, or perhaps have at our disposal the possessions that David had. But he readily admits, he says, I, In my prosperity, that's what did it prosperity and comfort. Um, he said, I'm untouchable, I'll not be shaken. And, and for however it happened, He drifted, and it would seem he felt that God used this illness to draw him back. As a father loves and chastens his child, the disciplining hand of God on him. He said, Lord, by your favor, verse 7, you made my mountain stand strong. but Then you hid hid your face, and I was troubled. So he's acknowledging God, all of that prosperity came from you. I see it now. And when your presence was removed, he said, I was in trouble. Verse 8 to me i i find verse eight and nine kind of kind of fun it's it's david revealing the reason for his prayer you say well, why do we need a reason if you're that sick the reason seems kind of self-explanatory you, you pray to the lord i want to be healed I, I i want to be well well why why do you want to be well why do you want to be healed well i want to be back to my ordinary life maybe that's the best reason some of us would get get back there. i want to get back to where i was but to do what that david gives us a reason he says i cried to you o lord verse eight to you, O oh Lord, I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise you? Shall it declare your truth? David essentially expresses to God, he says, if I die, who's going to praise you? Who's going to worship you? Who's going to tell others about you? You're going you're going to lose something, God, he's saying, if you let me die. Now, that seems pretty bold um, in some degree, but you know what? This is why... God says of David that he is a man after my own heart. Because God loves praise. He loves the praise of his people. He inhabits the praise of his people, if I could borrow that phrase from the psalm. And so knowing that, I think of the the Lord Jesus. You remember when the, the followers were crying out in praise to God. And then the Pharisees said, no, no, quiet your disciples, quiet your disciples. Remember the Lord said, if I quiet them, the stones would cry out. God will be praised. Independent of us. God doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need any of us even breathing. But He delights in our praise. And David knows that. And so He's appealing. This is why He says He's a man after my own heart, because God, David knows what God's heart is. God desires that praise. And so that's the reason He doesn't say, Give me my throne back. Give me my, I don't know, grapes and whatever else He did uh, on a daily basis as king. All of these comforts that would have been at His disposal. He doesn't even mention that. He says, I want to praise you. And God, if I die, I can't praise you the same. It gives you a bit of insight, too, into the fact that David doesn't understand the whole idea of the spiritual realm again. Like, they're, they're, we know that as we pass on or with the Lord today, we're going to be praising God forever and ever and ever. Praise does not end uh, with our death. But David, it would appear, didn't totally understand that, and that's okay. He understood what he was revealed. And he, for all he knew, to go to Sheol was the cease of praise of God. And then David, if I could use this ex- expression, he kind of hedges his bets a bit. Because he says um, in verse 10, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Option one was he says, God, please heal me so that I can continue to praise you. And just in case that reason's not good enough, option two is, out of your own mercy, please heal me. Not because of anything I deserve or anything I've done. I deserve nothing. But if that reason's not good enough, please, God, I just throw myself on your tender mercies will you heal me we're not told which reason it was perhaps some of a and b but for whatever reason God did heal David perhaps it was simply that he learned his lesson to not be so dependent on his prosperity so easy to say so easy for us to fall into the trap in, in the life and so on that we live in the area of the world today but verse 11 David then in verse 11 and 12 returns to give praise to God you've turned my mourning into dancing and he's he's just overfilled with joy. Not that he was made well, I'm sure that was part of it, but that he got to continue to praise God. Remember, this isn't a private conversation. He is bearing his soul in front of many, many, many people in a very, very public fashion saying, I messed up. I dropped the ball. I got my eyes off of where they ought to have been. God humbled me down here. And God raised me back up again, and I praise him for it. In the midst of all of you witnesses, I want you to know, God healed me. And we need to praise and sing and dance, and just over, overfilled with joy. That's what he wanted everyone to see that day. No focus on the building. Who cares about the building? This was a good excuse to praise God and to get our hearts back on him. So I guess in terms of lessons for us, God may humble us through illness doesn't mean every illness is to humble us before God. It doesn't mean every time God needs to humble us, he will send us illness. It doesn't work that way, but it could be. And so it ought to, perhaps, if these things, if experiences happen in our life, if nothing else, perhaps it gives us an opportunity to self-examine. Have we got our eyes off the Lord? Are things not there? They may be, they may not be. But for David, he inspected his own soul and he said, you know what? It's not in a good place. God, you got my attention. And as he returned god did heal him it's also no, not a lesson that every time god will heal us there there could be reasons for illness and people close to us who have passed on and we have no idea why and and we're left asking why and uh in eternity perhaps it'll become more clear the reasons aren't always clear to us but it would appear in this case it was to humble god's servant david we learn also from this it is totally appropriate to pray for healing that's what david did he prayed for healing and his prayer was answered and he prayed for reasons like I said maybe I'm not saying this is a recipe that like who's going to praise you and, and things like that but he was just honest with God like that was where his heart was at and he was just buried his heart before God praying for that healing and God did answer that prayer if nothing else perhaps we take away from this verse five that uh, the weeping may endure for the night but joy comes in the morning as sure as morning follows night joy does follow weeping um, that sounds like something beautiful you could put on a greeting card or something like that. But if we don't have the Lord, that's not necessarily true because the world doesn't give us joy. The world doesn't uh, everything turn out right in the end. If you know the Lord and have the comfort of him in your life, that is true, and you can rest in that. And even if you are this very minute in the depths of that night in sorrow and the weeping, my heart goes out to you and with you. We want to weep with you. But we can, on the assurance of the word of God, and from witnessing the experience of God's servant David, say that joy does come in the morning. I don't know when morning may come for you, but the Lord, when he is with us, there is another side, and there is a joy, and that in itself can be a hope and a comfort for us in the midst of that very, very dark night. All right. Thank you for listening patiently to some thoughts on Psalm chapter 30.